Hey everyone, it's uh, Craig. I decided to do a Q&A this week. Uh, you know, it's getting kind of slow during the summer. And I wanted to start trying to do more things for uh, PSH Radio, I guess, in general. You know, just more things that you guys can listen to. More voice blogging than just uh, regular blogging. So I thought this would be a good time to test that out. Take some questions from you guys. Answering them. Which, uh, you know, that's usually how questions and answers work. Uh, and thankfully, you guys are awesome. And I got uh, 50 questions, so I am breaking up. Decided I'm going to try and do two of these. And we'll see how this works. We'll see how it sounds. We'll see if it's entertaining and everything. But going to do 25 tonight, or about half of them tonight. And then half of them I will be able to post by Monday. And I tried to separate them by categories so I can kind of keep a... Uh, you know, keep the topic going a little bit. And uh, I was going to start with, there are quite a few questions about uh, Elaine Vigneault and just coaching in general. So I was going to start tonight, or today, or whatever, whenever the hell you're listening to this, you know, it's a podcast, uh, with Chris's question uh, from at Diamondback42, which veteran does AV inexplicably fall in love with? And I decided to go with Justin Braun. It's not really a strong feeling that he's going to fall in love with Braun, but if I had to take a guess out of anybody on the roster, uh, a coach that has a history of utilizing and pretty much loving Dan Girardi and Kevin Bieksa in the past, I would not be surprised if Justin Braun becomes the guy that we are tired of in November or December, you know, halfway through the year. But he, Justin Braun is going to be, I mean... He doesn't have a lot of offensive upside, and he is good defensively, but his his defensive capabilities are going to get are going to get blown out of proportion compared to what he actually brings on the ice for the team. Uh, and I feel like coaches always kind of overvalue those guys, as we saw with Hackstall and Manning. And if you look, pretty much if you look at any coach in the league, there is one, if not more, players that shouldn't be in the lineup but somehow get top four or top nine minutes. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Braun is that guy. Um, so good question, Chris. Getting the ball rolling here. That's one down. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Uh, Brian Knight. Uh, Brian Knight at Project Avant says, which Flyers poised to have a big year under Elaine Vigneault? I... So my candidate for a big bounce back season, or not bounce back, but I guess breakout more, is always uh, Oscar Lindblom for next season. But I decided to switch that up, and uh, I think Konechny, I think Konechny might break thirty goals next year. It's a hunch, it's a guess. That's me being positive at Konechny, but he was a little unlucky this season. Back to back twenty four goal seasons. Um, but he also hit the post nine times this year. He was one of 21 players to hit the post nine times. Out of those 21 players, uh, he had he had hit the post on 3.59% of his 251 unblocked shots uh, in all situations last year. So 3.59% of his unblocked shots hit the post, which was the seventh highest out of those 21 players that hit the post nine times or more. So he came pretty close. You know, you can't say he would have scored on all those goals, but I don't know if he gets a, a couple bounces, he's at 27, 28 goals. And, you know, he's not going to go out there and make, mimic the same actions as he did last year next year, but he's still going to be on the top line, or he should be. At worst, he'll be on the second line for part of the season if Voracek and Drew and Couturier go nuts together. Uh, and... He should the second power play should be better. He only had eight points on the main advantage last year. He only had four goals on the power play last year. So hopefully the addition of Kevin Hayes and maybe Sandheim manning the, the point on the second power play unit helps connect me find a couple more goals on uh, special teams than he would have this year. So I think I think Connecty's gonna have a really good season next year. I think he is the guy that we look at as having the most improvement from the season to 2019-20. I, I do like Limblom. I think I, I want to say he's going to score 23-24 goals. My only concern, I think he's going to break 20. I just, uh, I'm kind of nervous to say 25 because I think he's going to be slotted uh, on the third line at 5-5 five and five for most of the season. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see him. Kyle made a pitch for him being on the second line uh, earlier this week, or last week I believe, on the site. And uh, I mean, I, I really wouldn't mind 
Limbaugh being on the second line. I I mean, it would create more depth, but I I think he's just going to be slotted in in the bottom six. So we'll uh, we'll see how good old connecting does. Uh, going off of Brian's question, we go into Mike's uh, at Mark Merck Gunner, who uh, asked the opposite question, which is, what player do you think? could be the biggest letdown this season. Not to be a downer, but someone will have a down year or not live up to expectations. So, yeah, thanks, Mike, for, uh, you know, bringing us down and uh, focusing on this negative question. But uh, I think the downer is going to be Matt Niskanen. So this is a good, good Q&A, by the way. I'm already, already kind of dunked on Braun, and I'm going to slowly uh, dunk on Niskanen here. But uh, I, think, I think some people got too excited about the Niskanen edition. Not, you know, storming the streets, running the city hall like the Eagles won again. I'm saying I, I don't know how much better he is than Gutis right now. I think he's better. I think the mobility helps a lot. In the past, I, again, I, I've said it a couple of times, but if this was three years ago, I, I love this trade. But he, Niskanen has quietly had two pretty meh seasons, and if he's going to come here and you know, serve the role of uh, one of the one of the arguments for why the Niskan trade makes sense is he will be able to free up whoever he is paired with, and hopefully it's a kid. So hopefully he's paired with a Sandheim or Proveroff or Ghost, and they are able to do more things they want to in the offensive zone or take more chances, bring the puck up the ice, yada yada yada, whatever. If that is the case for why it's a good trade, the Niskan is going to be left in. Uh, prone positions a lot all season. He's going to be left on odd, odd man rushes. He's going to be expected to get puck retrievals and get the puck out of the zone pretty quick. And those are just situations that kind of set you up to be noticed by fans as not preventing goals. It may not entirely be his fault, but I, I think he just may not be in the most envious positions this year. Um, and I, I just... I, I think this year, this was a down year for him, and I think, unfortunately, it's the start of his downward trajectory with his career it's not a a bump in the road i hope i'm wrong if i'm wrong then i i think the defense is going to look pretty damn good this year uh but i i mean with how old he is and the type of season he had i really i don't know not too much confidence so i i think he might i think matt niskin might be the biggest letdown this year all right and then moving along i i put two questions together it's a question from zach uh, at unadmirable, uh, with unfortunate uh, user handle there, Zach. But uh, which do you think is more likely this season? Uh, the Flyers win a playoff round or overall regression from last year? Combining that with uh, a question from Mav and Rav Palomo, uh, two friends of the show, both under two. It's very impressive they wrote this question in, but here it is. What are your thoughts on the notion that the Flyers will improve and most likely make the playoffs this year more so due to other teams in the division getting worse as opposed to Chuck Fletcher's moves, or just say they make the playoffs to do the upgrades for guards of the other teams. Uh, and when I look at towards the end of the season and right after the season before any other moves were done, if the Flyers had taken in the 2018-19 roster and gone into the 2019-20 season, I, I, think, I think the team would just do better, period. I, I think there were unlucky this year i mean obviously they used a lot of goalies i think there's more stability in net even though they brought back elliot and we'll talk a little bit about that but you know the i mean this season sucked it was not a fun season and the season was they were essentially the flyers were essentially out of the playoffs in i don't know december like realistically not mathematically eliminated but they were essentially out in december uh it's just not a good team but still when you look at the makeup of the team they had Five twenty goal scorers, and again, Oscar Lindblom was not part of that. He just missed, and he was he wasn't getting ice time for most of the season. And Wayne Simmons, I believe, had sixteen, and he was traded a couple months before the end of the season. So both those guys were on the path for getting twenty goals. And the defense, unfortunately, it did not play that well last year. But you improve, you improve a little bit with uh, the Niskan and Gudis transaction, as we just went over. But also, I think Ghost, Provorov, Myers, and Sanheim all have a ton of skill. I am really high on all those guys. I, I think when they hit their peak, or when they hit their stride in the league, I think the Flyers' defense is going to play very, very well. I mean, last season, I think last season was a lot of 
rookie mistakes and also just a lot of well and ghost had a down year uh but i i think just switching coaches mid-season and kind of switching up how the systems to implement and you know the tendencies and what you're supposed to be doing on the ice i th- as those things shifted throughout the year i think that kind of is harder for a younger player to adapt to than you know a veteran who's been there before uh but I think, I think the team was going to be good going into this year, no matter what. I think Fletcher's additions and subtractions. Uh, I think overall the team is better now than they were before with his additions. Uh, and then also the the division, the team, the, the teams in the division that added are teams that I don't think are a threat right now. If that makes sense. The Devils and the Rangers are going to be a real bitch to play in a couple years. But right now, for this particular season and maybe next, I don't, I'm not too worried about them as a Flyers fan. I, in, in the sense of they're going to be clearly better than the Flyers for a playoff spot. They may end up getting a playoff spot over the Flyers by the end of the season. But I think going in, I, the Flyers, should, Flyers fans should have a lot more confidence about the postseason than Rangers or Devils fans. It sounds kind of crazy when you look at the flashy moves that the Devils and the Rangers made this offseason with the Devils getting P.K. Subban and Jack Hughes uh, and the um, the Rangers adding Panarin and Truba and they get uh, Kako. So those are guys that I think when the teams are actually good again and they actually compete again, I, I, I think the additions they made this summer are going to be annoying them but not right now so i mean yeah and the, looking at the rangers roster mika's is their number one c uh their other centers according to cap friendly were ryan strome brett howden philip hedel leas anderson and vladislav nemesnikov i if you can tell me who their second line center is for next season okay then the argument for why the rangers will be better than flyers this year i think kind of settles in but these players are going to be good. Like, I want to put Heedle there or Anderson there right now because they're both young. So in a couple of years, they'll be good. Uh, same with Vitaly Kravtsov. I know he. I think he was a rookie this year. He's just going to get better over time. And they they have a lot of they have a decent amount of good young pieces. And I think they're going about rebuilding the right way. But I think they're still in the rebuild. The Devils, honestly, <laughs> adding adding Subban and Hughes. They have like six good players now. I think Steve and I went over it before, but they have Hall, they have Subban, Paul Mary's good, and then they have guys like I like Blake Coleman and Miles Wood, but they're not. I don't. I don't think they're really guys to put you over the top. They always have. They have Nico Hischier, who I always forget about, uh, and Will Butcher's good on defense, and Vatten's fine. But I really, I don't think Corey Schneider's a goalie he used to be. But you know, and again, speaking to. Young players now that aren't going to hurt the Flyers, but will down the line. I think Mackenzie Blackwood is a player that will be good for the Devils in a couple years. Um, looking at the other teams in the division, I look at uh, the Blue Jackets, who obviously lost a ton of pieces. Then you look at the Penguins, who lost Kessel and brought in Brandon Tanev, which I wouldn't really necessarily call good moves. And then when you look at the the, fuck are oh, the, the Hurricanes and the Capitals, I think are both going to be as good as they were this year. Uh, you know, they, I mean, they played each other in the first round, and it couldn't have been a closer series. But I, the Caps didn't really do much to improve their team, but they're still the Caps. They're still pretty good. And I think the – I'm not really going to believe that the goaltending for the Hurricanes is going to hurt them because uh, the team in front of them plays pretty well and does pretty good uh, driving play. Uh, the, the Calvin DeHaan subtraction might, might hurt them a little bit, but I, I, he's not – the biggest piece for that team. So I I I think the Flyers are gonna get a little bit of help from teams that added to their skill this offseason, but we may not see the benefits for a couple years. And I think they'll have a little bit of an easier time making the postseason this year. That would be that would be my uh answer to those two questions. Uh the next question is from Sean Miss uh, at Sean Miss do you think people are underestimating the importance of adding three NHL head coaches to the bench? How do you think it will affect everyone's focus and effort and compete level? Uh, so, Sean, in general, I think talking about experience behind the bench is a little overrated. But again, I feel like in the Flyers position, where it felt like 
and those systems were in place towards the end of the year in terms of getting the puck out of the zone. And for younger players who, you know, as Radko Gudis may have mentioned, there might be some kind of attitude problem in the locker room. I don't know. Whatever Radko Gudis was talking about. But you have younger players that maybe need a little tough love, which sounds annoying, and I, I understand. But after the Flyers went out and got Hackstall and Knobloch, who were both coaches that didn't have experience in the NHL and it didn't really work out, I don't have anything against going against coaches who have been in the league for a while and just having some kind of experience or stability at that position, even if if it's an assistant coach or whatever. Again, I'm not the biggest fan. I would I would have been <laughs> fucking upset if Mike Yo and uh, Michelle Terrian were the head coaches, and I really... I'm not the biggest fan that they're part of the organization right now, and the fact that they're one of them is probably going to be a head coach in a couple of years when AV gets canned. But I, I get again like a lot of things you can say about Fletcher this offseason. I get what he's going for, but we, I, I'm not too confident it's going to work. But we'll just we'll see how it's uh, how it's going to work out. But I, I will say that Fletcher did say in the beginning of the offseason that he felt like I believe he said the team. He said the team was decent, but he just wanted to change the mentality or how they go about playing the game and their mindset and everything. And I believe one of the best ways to do that is to put two uh, assistant coaches behind the bench like Gale and Terry. And so we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but I, in a weird way, I, I think in more times than not, it's pretty overrated. Like, I don't know what did Jack Capuano was an assistant for the Panthers this year. I don't really think they were a better team because he was there. And ex- I mean, the same with Mike Crawford uh, in Ottawa, but it's, uh, or he wasn't, he came in as an interim, but whatever. Assistant coaches are really, I mean, they're kind of, eh, I really don't care, but I, I can see how it can be beneficial this season for the Flyers. Uh, and then this question comes from Ian, uh, my brother. Uh, which Al, going back to Al Vigneault now, is, we had a we had a, a dip into the progression regression theme. Now we're going to go back to the Al real quick. Uh, which Al will have a bigger impact in their first year, Elaine Vigneault or Al Horford? Now, see, that's a good question. And uh, as since Steph dubbed me the Quizmaster on Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, you can see that uh, the Forsyth is pretty good at asking questions. We just had a lot of experience just asking questions growing up. So uh, it's mainly because our parents never answered our questions. So we just thought if we got better questions, maybe they would start answering all the questions we had. But they just kept walking away. So, but that's a whole thing. I would say, let's see. It's. I mean, it really is a good question. I want to say in their first years here, I think AV will have a bigger impact. I mean, just because he's a coach and it's going to be new, new systems. Uh new mentality, pretty much everything we we're just talking about, the assistant coaches. I think I think a head coach has to have a bigger impact on his new team than uh I mean Al Horford's gonna be a monster, but he I don't know that much about basketball. He's not better than Embiid or Simmons or I don't want to say Harris. I I feel like he'd be better than Harris. I don't know. See these play I don't know. I just know that Al Horford dunks and he was Embiid's Achilles heel, and now they're on the same team. So that angle, I think, is probably Al Horford's biggest impact on the Sixers next to the fact they're just going to stuff everybody. Uh, I want to say A.V., though. That'll be, my, that'll be my stance. So then when Al Horford wins the uh, the playoffs MVP next year, when the Sixers win, you can uh, you guys can point to this. So uh, More big out questions, but the next two are, uh, you know, not uh, not too serious, but uh, from at Kami Party Hats. Uh, front of the show, what foods will Big Al forbid in the locker room? So that's uh, that's in relation to Ron Hextall infamously banning chicken wings and pizza from the locker room. Pretty much greasy food, anything bad. So I thought that if Big Al wanted to switch up the mentality of the locker room, he would forbid all other foods except for chicken wings and pizza. So then that way... The only games the Flyers won this year is when they play the Sabres, and then they can tweet about it, and then that will be the... So just the opposite approach of just everything except for these, you know, just pizza and wings, just the other way around. The only thing you're allowed to eat in the locker room is just pizza and chicken wings. You're not even allowed to have drinks. No no water, no Gatorade, just pizza and chicken wings. 
see how much you guys really want it then. <laughs> and then Tom Sloan, uh, Tom Sloan at Major League Tom, if you could do the hack wake serving interview with Big Al, what would the two of you do together instead of wake surfing, and what would you talk about? So I think the two of us would share a tandem bike. I would be sitting in the front, so then each time I asked a question, I'd have to put one arm behind me to like turn and talk to him and kind of ask him a question. And I think that's that, that's how the interview would go instead of wake surfing. And uh, I figured I'd just talk to him about uh, Lost, what his favorite episodes of Lost were. I've never watched Lost, but I, I think most people have, so I would just talk to him about Lost. And then when he would start talking about it or ask me if I knew uh, certain characters' names, I'd be like, no, nah, I have no idea. And just listen to him ramble on about Lost and be like, oh, yeah. Oh, is that the guy that was on the Weezer album cover? Or, like, who is that? I don't know who any of these people are. So, uh, And then moving, let's see here. Transitioning from A.V., uh, who's the new head coach after Dave Haxtall, who many people placed blame for, and deservedly so, for the last few seasons. Uh, Krizik, I think is how you're saying this name, uh, asks, with Haxtall and Amac on, Hag as a 70, and Hart and Net, who is in line to become the next scapegoat for the fan base? I, I mean, I think I, I think the top two options are obvious. That may just be how I'm perceiving the situation, but I feel like the, I feel like a lot of people have turned on a Voracek and Shane Shane Gossespierre. I feel like those two are the two players that, if the Flyers hit a losing streak or if things aren't going well, if the team's scoring. A lot of the people that, uh, you know, want to blame somebody that has a big name. Usually it's Claude Drew, but I think they're going to go towards Jake Voracek. And then if not Jake, I think they're going to go after Shane. And I think my wild card here, and maybe not this year, since Jake and uh, Ghost are still here, but I think JVR is going to start getting a lot of hate soon. Because he was one of those players that was a borderline scapegoat the first time around here. People probably still don't like him inexplicably when he was here the first time. So people still just don't like him because of that. Uh, he was a Hextall signing. And he is often seen close to the net trying to score. So if there are various times over this season and next season where he's missing dunks, it's an easy thing to point to that, hey, the guy that Hextall signed to an extension is missing goals again. That would be my dark horse. But really, I think that the, I think it's got to be a war check would be my scapegoat. Honestly, I mean, if uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's too early to say Hart would be the scapegoat, but he is a goalie in Philadelphia. I don't know. I, I don't know. They, he might be, might be down the line. Not, not right now, but down the line. All right, and then transitioning from that to uh, a question from Dan Fortuna, friend of the show. A lot of these people have been. Yeah, all of you have been, you know, friends of Fly Burberry, but friend of the show. Uh, at Danny Fortuna one two three, is it just me, or do the Flyers seem to get screwed every year with the schedule? I know it's hard to look at since I'm a Flyers fan, but man, lots of back to back. So to Dan's point, the Flyers have 17 back to backs this season, with uh, 13 being three games in four days. And on top of that, uh, Mika Blake McCurdy at HockeyViz uh, pointed out uh, that the Flyers have a minus eight. Uh, differential between their 12 tired games, games where they were playing the second game of a back-to-back against the team who had the previous day off, to just four rest of games where they are the team that had the day off before playing a team in the second game of their back-to-back. So not only do... I, I think 17 is the most. I wasn't able to find that out. But the 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 difference in rest first uh, tired games is the biggest in the league by two games. Uh, the Sens and the Panthers both are minus six in that department, but they are 29th and 30th in the league. The Flyers are the only team that plays seven or more tired games than they do rested games. So the schedule this year, they kind of bone the Flyers, to be honest. And also, I don't even care about the back-to-backs. It, uh, the only thing it really, I guess, affects will be uh, the next topic I'm going to talk on, but I'm going to rip on the schedule a little bit more. I, I just don't... The only game I think the majority of fans feel like they need to see, besides playoffs, I, I feel like would have to be the season opener. I don't know if that's just 
how I feel, but I, I feel every single season opener, I just, I have to see it. Every other game from game two to 82, as long as I see most of them, I really don't care which other ones I miss. Uh, it's kind of annoying that I, I think the last East Coast season opener the Flyers had was against Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay in 2015. Then it was L.A., um, then it was San Jose, and then last year was Vegas. Now they're playing the fucking Czech Republic. I can't, I honestly, I don't know where they're going to go next year. They can't even do like Chicago or, I don't know, Minnesota where it's just an 8 p.m. game. It always has to be in California or Europe. I, I'm waiting for, I, I just want to, if they're going to do it, just do it on the moon. Just go to the fucking moon and play a game already. You know what I mean? If I'm going to stay up until 3 a.m. to watch random hockey games, or, well, I guess the game of Czech Republic. I wasn't staying up till 3 for the, the West Coast games, but... Uh, just fucking go to the moon. Just play it on the moon. I don't care. Alright, so now that that's... Sorry. Now that that's out of the way. Going back to the 17 back-to-backs, uh, I combined... Or, two of you guys had very similar questions, so I, I just made it one. Uh, Sideshow side John <laughs> and Chadley uh, both pretty much asked how many uh, starts Alex Lyon will get. Uh, Sideshow side John said, uh, how many games will Brian Elliott play before his core muscles explode? And we're stuck with Lyon as a backup. And Chadley asked, how many starts will Alex Lyon get for the Flyers this season? So, 17 back-to-backs. Hopefully, with this coaching staff, that means at least 17 games for not Carter Hart. Uh, and I think second-year goalie, I think Carter Hart played 33 games last year. Uh... I think he's going to play between 45 and 50 this year. I maybe more, maybe 55, but I if he played 45 to 50 games, I don't I don't think I would be I, I wouldn't be shocked. If that's true, you're looking at 32 games at Elliot and I think I think Elliot's been hurt a fair amount over the last two seasons because of the way he was handled. But the injuries he suffered from the way he was handled, I think, are going to linger into this season. Charlie made that point before, too, and I, I think it's true that that's the way his body is going to go about it. And if that's true with all these back-to-backs, there's bound to be at some point in this season where Elliot's going to get hurt at the start of one of those three and four or the start of a two-week span where the Flyers happen to have two back-to-backs or something. A situation where Lyon is going to pretty much work his way into one or two starts. I my my totals uh for next season if I were to guess would be let's see here. I'm going to say Hart plays 50 games. And then Brian Elliott will play 28 and then Alex Line is 4. Maybe you go maybe you go Carter Hart 45, and uh, Brian Elliott, you know, maybe 29-30, closer to that. But I think Alex Lyon gets four starts would be my guess. And I think the Flyers only use three goalies this year, which would be a, a nice change of pace. So after talking about the goalie situation for this current season, uh, Eamon, Eamon Smith will help us look at uh, goaltending a couple years down the line. So Eamon Smith... Friend of the show, good friend of the show. Uh, he asks, what exactly do you see potential-wise in Ursan, Ustamenko, and Sandstrom? I know a lot of people have their specific favorites, so I'd like to hear an outside perspective. So I'd like to start by saying, uh, usually European prospects, I feel like I don't have the best grasp on their skill sets because uh, North America is a lot easier to get stats, advanced stats, highlights, video, scouts, all that, you know, it's a lot easier, and that kind of goes without saying, but uh, I think, and this is going to sound like a cop-out, I think this year is a big year for all three of those to take a step towards being a promising product and a prospect, or towards being a bust. I think for Sandstrom, I think he... Suffered through some injuries over in Sweden. Finally coming to North America. I think if he has a decent season in the AHL or does pretty good, I think he's the backup next year. And then that's kind of the max that you would expect Felix Sandstrom to provide for the Flyers. Unless you think he's going to 
take over Carter Hart's role. Uh, you can't can't really go anywhere besides that. Uh, Manko, I want to see Manko play against a little uh, more difficult competition. Uh, he's done pretty good in Russia's MHL uh, over the last three years. Uh, during his draft year, he had a 938 save percentage in 2016-17, 929 save percentage in 2017-18, and a 927 save percentage in 2018-19. Sorry, I messed it up. 929 in 2017-18, 927-2018-19. Um, and this year, I, I think he is going to start in Reading this year, I believe. Uh, but if he does start in Lehigh, um, I mean, he's gonna—he's just going to be a backup. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be kind of hard to gauge how well he'll do in the AHL if he's a backup this year. But I think if he's in Reading, he gets more starts. We kind of see... You know how he does. Whatever it doesn't matter if he's in with Redding or Lehigh. He's gonna have. He's gonna play the hardest competition he's played in his uh, career. So that'll be a good benchmark to see if he's gonna be able to stay above water uh, professionally in North America, or if he is. If he had um, just a couple good seasons over in the MHL, and then Samuel Urson, I, I don't. How do you? I mean, he was a fifth round pick that kind of. Stormed onto the scene last year. I mean, he was taken in the fifth round a little over a year ago. Had a a really good season in all Venskins. And then he had a pretty good uh, World Junior Championship. And he had uh, pretty good highlights at the World Junior Championship. Uh, so I, I want to see if he's able to do what he did in the Al's Venskins. Al's Venskin in the SHL next year. Uh, so my I think my favorite, I I don't know. I've stuck with Sandstrom. I know there a lot of people were starting to turn on Sandstrom uh, maybe a year, two years ago, just because of his injuries and everything. I think he's going to do pretty good in the AHL this year, and then I think he's up with the Flyers next year. Eustamanko um, and Ursan, I mean, I think they're still a couple years away, but Eustamanko could, I mean, Eustamanko might get a shot to start in the AHL next year, and then we can see where he can go from there, but... Uh, at least three. I think Santrum, but I I think that's just because uh, I think that's because he's the clo- he's closest to the finished product. So maybe a little a little hard to uh, I guess kind of uh, break that down. But all right. So those were all the Flyers related questions. There are still a couple more hockey related questions. So I'm going to go through the, those right now. Um, Flyers related as to the team on the ice. There are a couple of Flyers related in here, but they are about. Uh, me personally, so you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Orange Nation asked if you could build a starting five, no goalies, of players with the same first name. What name are you going with, and who are the players? So, fortunately, I forgot about this question until about five minutes before the podcast. But I think I'm going to go with Mark, uh, Mark Messier, Mark Recchi, Mark Shifley, Mark Howe, Mark Giordano. Off the top of my head, that would be. I thought of them. I thought of Mike. I didn't fill out the complete roster, but I Mike Bossy, Mike Madonna, Mike Gardner. And then also, if you're feeling spicy, Michael Delzato. That would be I mean, he'll be both my defensemen, that's fine. Uh and then also I thought it'd be I thought I'd get real cute and try and do Wayne's, because then he could just do Wayne Gretzky and Simmons, but I I haven't looked up uh who else. The only other I'm thinking of Wayne Primo and Wayne Stevenson, so I, I don't I don't think we're gonna be really Really be able to field a team of Waynes, but who knows. Uh, and then uh, Aline Van Deventer asks, uh, what's the best jersey you've owned? So here, here's my whole thing with Flyers jerseys. I got a Brian Boucher jersey uh, in the on Christmas of 2001, and then Boucher got traded the following summer. After that, I said I didn't want to get another player's name on a jersey for years. Didn't think about it. Thought about getting again in twenty, getting another one in 2011. I wanted to get a Mike Richards jersey, and then we kind of all know what happened in the summer of 2011. So since then, I've given up on the, I've given up on the hope of getting a jersey. I know this is irrational, but this is my thing, and I don't want to go and get a Claude Giroux jersey, and then all of a sudden, Chucky Two Trade is waking up pissed and angry for some reason, and he feels like he needs to trade Drew. So I, my best jersey I've owned is Brian Boucher. I got a, I have a black Brian Boucher jersey. 
I currently have a black Jean Leclerc jersey, but that is Ian's that I just secretly stole and then never gave back to him. And then I also have a St. Patrick's jersey that I got as a gift. I really, I don't know, I don't really buy, I don't have anything against jerseys or collecting jerseys. I just, it's not something that I, I really go out of my way to go buy one or, you know, buy a few or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I, I I have a bunch of flyer shirts and everything. So and I usually get usually go and grab the uh, the discount deals like Models when they have the the jerseys after players are gone. Like years ago, I still have a Vinnie Prospel jersey, uh, Bill Barber jerseys. Uh, what else? Uh, that's it. So uh, and then speaking of my brother, uh, his other question that is hockey related is uh, Bill Simmons, who was a quite a fan of the Celtics. I can't yeah uh, said on his podcast that. NHL bottom seeds have the same chance at the title as the top seeds. Do you agree, and do you think this is good for the league? I don't... So, I don't agree that they have the same chance. I think there's just a... The NHL provides a better chance for their bottom seeds to succeed and push through and get further in the postseason if that makes sense and i don't even know if it's not really the nhl it's just i think it's just the way that the two i'm speaking about the nhl and nba since those two are the most comparable leagues the thing with the nba is you you can have one or two or three stars and they will play the entire game and you're gonna repeat you know possessions are a little more i guess I don't know how to say this. Not calculated. They're a little more repetitive, and you can manufacture production a lot easier by doing the same actions over and over again than hockey, where there are just weird bounces, and it's a rubber puck on ice, and just stupid shit happens. I don't know how else to say Like, I feel out of the four major sports, hockey is the most luck-based, and the NBA, it's the most luck-based, and then also in the postseason, if you just get a goalie that gets hot he's gonna shut down whatever the best team is and there's really not there's not an equivalent for that in the nba uh or i guess not even really in the mlb right and the nfl you could have just a great quarterback that i guess does lead team uh you know mediocre teams to success but the nhl it's you could literally have the this year's lightning against i'm not gonna say the blue jackets because they were fine but against whoever but if the goalie is hot for no other no other reason than that goalie is playing out of his mind, that team advances. So it's I don't know. I, I I think it's not really you know the eighth seed has the same chance as a one seed. It's just it's a lot better odds than the other three sports. Um, and uh, is it good for the league? I think I think it's good for fans of the league. I don't know. It, it might be good to a. Uh, People that aren't invested in the team, anyways. I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad for the league, but I think if you, I, I know certain people out there like the fact that most of the teams that win in the NBA and the the NFL are usually the teams that played the best during the regular season, earned one of the top two seeds, and then just you know did pretty well in the postseason. Rather than once a postseason starts, you have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, you know, we've seen teams at the top of the league for a while be near the top of the league and then just end up not winning at all, even though they were consistently a close team that would usually win playoff series. I mean, that's I mean that's what the Flyers were uh, until a couple years ago. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's good. I I don't know how many people value that angle of uh, if they want that in their entertainment. If they just want to see the best get rewarded or if they want surprises and upsets and all that type of all those types of things so i i want to say it's good for the league because you really never know what's going to happen but then at the same time you know it's kind of hard to explain how a team like the lightning gets swept in the first round and a team that pulled up a goalie from the ahl and listened to a song in the 80s in january calls in the win a stanley cup it's kind of i don't know it's it's uh, it's just tough to explain what that is besides just chalking up to luck or dumb bounces or whatever. But anywho, uh, another league related question from Christine Sweet, friend of the show, uh, at Extra Sweet C, 
regarding last year's early round chaos in the playoffs. Blip on the radar? Or a sign of a long-term shift in the league's power structure? Reminded me of 2010 when Detroit and Pittsburgh gave way to Chicago and L.A. Uh, so good question, Christine. I think... I mean, usually the NHL postseason is pretty nuts. Um, and not just in 2010 or uh, this year. But, I mean, even last year, the, the Knights made a run two years ago. The Senators and Predators made a run. And the Blackhawks were swept in the first round. Uh, I think... I think this year might be the might be the season a lot of people look to as the maybe the end of the Hawks and the Kings. I might be jumping a little bit too early there with the Hawks because they're. I mean, I guess they're still kind of on the the playoff bubble. They were they were doing pretty okay this season. They almost made the playoffs, but L.A. It looks like their their windows slammed shut. Uh, and Pittsburgh, I mean, didn't again got swept in the playoffs and. Not exactly the most illustrious uh, postseason. So maybe those three teams kind of fall into the background and maybe the Leafs or the Lightning actually start winning or, you know, going places and doing things. I don't know. I would say there are no... It doesn't feel like... the. I mean, the Lightning and the Maple Leafs feel like those two teams that should be on the verge of winning one, if not more cups over the next few years but they both seem to there there seems to be some kind of hurdle in the postseason uh especially for well the the maple leafs hurdles the bruins but then the lightning seem to lightning have been in plenty of situations before where they could have clinched and closed out a series and then they just let it slip through their fingers and then they had this year so i have no idea what the hell we're going to expect the lightning next year but if either of those two teams can get it, or like get it together, then they have. I think they could become the next powerhouse in the league. I guess is how you'd say. It. All right. So now that the actual real hockey questions are out of the way, and I guess this next one could be it, but we're moving into the utter nonsense territory. Just to let you guys know. I mean, you you know you know what you're in for. So anyway, uh, human uh, asked. Or it says, the goal song blows. Uh, yeah, I agree. So, it's your call, BSH Radio dudes. I, I was This was aimed towards me, so I'm still answering it. Ghost hits you with a sweet breakout pass. You clear the blue line. You shoot. You score. What song starts playing? Now, as I did with the Jersey question earlier, I will explain my goal song answer that has been the same for, I think, six years now. I want it to be tag teams. Whoop, there it is in its entirety. Uh, this was started by Steve. I think it was started by Steve, uh, Kim Pollock, and I want to say Marcello when we all used to contribute to Flyers Faithful. They wanted to change this. They started a petition to change the song to Whoop, There It Is. And I think it got, I think it got a, a quite a few signatures. I want to say hundreds, but I'm not, I, it's a crazy number to throw out there if it didn't happen, but Something of that. I just want whatever song they choose next to just play it in. Just play the entire song. So if it's not Womp, there it is. I would prefer a comedically long, agonizing rock song. Like Stairway to Heaven. Or One. Or Achilles Last Stand. Some kind of shit. like Or like 10,000 Days. Something that just never ends. But you have to play it all the way through to irritate the opposition. And then I just... I want that. And then... Just after the ensuing face-off, that same we the fire score again in like five six seconds after the last goal, and then you have to listen to that ten-minute song again. If that goes down, a team will quit. That is how we're gonna see a team quit a professional hockey game, is by obnoxious goal songs, and then a team gets scored on on the road twice in about five seconds. That team's gonna be like, "Nah, fuck that. I'm not listening. I'm not listening." <laughs> To this 11-minute song again. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to hear Stairway to Heaven again. I'm just packing up. I'm leaving. We'll take the L. Whatever. We're getting out of town. Uh, Justin, at the Best Smart, who is unfortunately a, a Pittsburgh fan. So, I mean, that's his thing. But uh, he says, Bagel Guy is an Eagles fan. So, my question is, is Philadelphia canceled? I'll hang up and listen. So, Bagel Guy... Fuck, I mean, if you don't know who Bagel Guy is, I, I wish I was you. But Bagel Guy was a uh, shorter New Yorker, I think. I don't know where he... But the whole the whole thing is the guy's like five foot one, really short. He, he's on video yelling at a bunch of customers in a bagel shop. Gets in one guy's face and pretty much tells him, like, you know, fuck off. 
does it to the guy next to him, and the the second guy was not feeling it and just tackled him. So obviously that became a huge viral video. And I think he's getting, he's still getting a recognition for being a small dumbass. So I, I don't know. And there's a video of him in an Eagles jersey going around. But I did see that somebody told him to put the jersey on and then they taped him. It wasn't, they, he's not an actual Eagles fan is what the story is. It was just a, like they were trying to set up an ad or something. And then they told him to put on the jersey. I don't fucking know. He's not an Eagles fan. That's what you need to know. Uh... The Eagles are still good. All their fans are great. There's not a single fan we can point to that embarrasses the rest of the fan base. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's a uh, next question. BT at BT6453. Uh, and this is a hockey question. He says, oh, shit. What Wells Fargo Center food item would Guy Fieri take with him to Flavortown? I, it's got to be crab fries, right? I feel like... You put Guy Fieri in front of um, 300 crab fries, and I feel like he could... Well, 300, I don't know. How many How many crab fries do you think there are in a bucket? This is a good question to ask by myself, Craig, so let's work it through here. I'm going to say there's 80 crab fries in a bucket. Four, so 300, I think he could house four buckets of crab fries if we brought in the flavor town. That would be my guess. Uh, BT, front of the show, Colin... Colin Breer, friend of the show, at Lazarus Paradise. By the way, this is my favorite introduction to a question so far. So, all right, we're all wondering how many French Bulldogs could you fit inside Gritty? I just like it because I like to think that there is an online network of Flyers fans that just don't have the courage to ask me or Steve about how many French Bulldogs could fit in the Gritty. And then Colin was like, fuck it, I'll do it. I, I gotta be the one. I gotta stand up. I gotta ask. All right, we're all wondering. So, my answer uh, obviously, the answer is either uh, 6.9 or 4.20 French Bulldogs. I don't know how you guys wanna get to the point nine or the point two oh. I'm not gonna be there when the. Uh, I, don't, I, don't need to, I don't need to see how the sausage, sausage is made. I mean, I, I, I gave you a number. I think that would fit inside Gritty. Uh, we'll see. But that, good question. Good question. I would say. Height-wise, though, Gritty seems about uh, like a French Bulldog standing on the hind legs. He's about four French Bulldogs high? Three, maybe. I don't know. I'm not up to date on my French Bulldog uh, equation chart. but uh, Drewski, another friend of the show, at Drewski0806. Which flyer most likely owns the Cole Beasley autobiography album on his iTunes? Uh, Drew, thank you. Sorry, not sorry. And I would say... I feel like Travis Konechny is a guy, I feel like if Travis Konechny was not on the Flyers and not a hockey player, he was a guy that I would see on the streets and just be like, yeah, he's kind of a douchebag. That's what he looks like, so I feel like if you own the autobiography album, uh, physical copy or on iTunes, got to be a little bit of, you got to kind of have that look and feel to you, and I feel like Konechny out of all the guys on the team would fit into that category. Uh, Chris, who actually started off this whole Q&A, is back around. He just wanted a refresher on R.I.P.D. I heard the origin of this, but I forget it now. Can you explain? So R.I.P.D., and it's been a while, are the two jokes I took from Comedy Bang Bang. I don't know. I, I mean, I told him. I didn't tell him, but I've you know, stated plenty of times that it's Comedy Bang Bang. So, uh, But R.I.P.D. is Rest in Peace Department. Is that shitty movie that came out a couple years ago with uh, Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds. I don't know if it's shitty or not. I didn't see it. It did not look good is the only reason why I'm saying it's shitty. But, uh, and I guess just one random episode of Comedy Bang Bang, they all started saying it as a joke. And then it became a joke for a little while on the the podcast. And I said it once or twice on Fly Purbly and Steve started using it too. So that is what R.I.P.D. is. That is where it's from. Rest in Peace Department. Uh, John Dos Passos, why don't you have ghosts, especially a ghost who is a proclaimed novelist when alive on your podcast? Uh, thank you, John, uh, at John Dos Passos. Uh, John, I'm a ghostist, so I don't believe in, I don't believe ghosts are equal, uh, to people. That's, I know that's quite a stance I have in 2019, but, you know, that's all, I'll, I'll leave it at that, so. Uh, Jake, Jake Riley, at Jake 
underscore D underscore Riley. What flyer should have his own season of The Bachelor? I said Voracek. I, he's got, I think he's got a girlfriend, significant partner, other, whatever. I don't know if he's married. I, I, I don't think he's married, so that's why I'm saying Voracek. But also, he'd just be, just don't shave him. Same attitude. Just put him in there. I think it would be the funniest season of The Bachelor ever. So, Jesse Murdoch. Murdoch. What is the worst song from the Flyperbole catalog? I don't know if this is... Uh, if you're referencing... Thank you for the question, Jesse. If you're talking about co- songs we've talked about, uh, we literally just talked about Drowning Pool yesterday. That's what I'm sticking with. That is... I, that seems like a lazy answer, but I would say that Drowning Pool, out of all the bands we've ever talked about... Yeah. I mean, we also talked about Papa Roach, Pick Your Choice, but... Yeah. Um, and then the last question... Certainly not the least, because I need to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of teaching here. But Brent W. Uh, at Great in the Room, which I love that handle by the way. Quote: Would you rather fight one Guy Fieri-sized French bulldog or twenty French bulldog-sized Guy Fieri's? Now my answer is the one Guy Fieri-sized French bulldog, and I'll tell you why. Bulldogs can't punch. Most dogs. All dogs, I mean, if we're going to get, you know, kind of racy here, all dogs can't punch. Uh, the, you should be able to beat a dog in a fight more times than not. I don't know how often you're practicing that, but you should be able to punch a dog directly in the face. Uh, it doesn't matter the size. They probably don't know you're about to fight them. You can bop them right on the nose. Uh, the the smaller guy, Fietti's, you got to remember this. We just talked about Bagel Guy. He's got Napoleon Complex. You get 20 of those guys with blonde tips and, and donkey sauce and it's game over. You're not surviving that. So I would I would uh I would just punch the one guy Fieri size French bulldog right in the face and just call it a day. So that would be it. Uh, and I think that's a that's as good a question as any to end on. Again, thank you guys for all the questions. Uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping these over fifty minutes of answers are actually worth listening to. Please give me your feedback. Good, bad, whatever. I'm doing too much anything during this uh, Q and A. Let me know. I I, w- I want to keep putting out Tangy t- Ten, uh, and I want to do it on BSH uh, through BSH Radio. So experimenting with this, seeing how it'll go. If you guys like it, let me know. I can keep doing it, and I'll try and do more th- things like this during the season. If not, I mean, I'm I'm fine rolling with just fly purpley and. BSH Radio and post games and everything. So let me know. It's, uh, of course, at sports underscore R underscore bad. And uh, look for part two of this Q&A on Monday. I will see you guys then.